sponsorship. Still, in the last few years of his life, he was willing to do that. And the reason that I want to talk about Peter to honour him in this way is because he exemplified a man who was following the directive that was given by Jesus. The Great Commission, which is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the essence of Christianity. It's the main job. It's the central occupation of a Christian. Loving God, loving other people. And that love for other people manifests itself not only in their physical and emotional well-being, but also in wanting the best for them. And the best for everyone is that they come to know Christ and are trained and taught how to follow Christ. Ultimately, as Christians, we are all discipled by Christ. And the Bible teaches us that one of the ways that we become disciples of Christ is through being discipled by other believers. When I talk about discipleship, I'm talking about the people in church that love Jesus, helping and teaching each other to love Jesus more and to become more like him. It's as simple as that. This is mentioned in 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This verse uh, refers to the way that us in the church are supposed to teach each other and to help each other. Paul refers to it again in Corinthians in a different way when he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Tim Hitsky has left a legacy. It's a legacy much larger than I know or can comprehend because he's impacted and touched so many people in his time, most of whom I've never met. But I do know some of his legacy. I know something that perhaps a lot of you wouldn't know which is that we probably wouldn't be meeting here in this hall at this location if it wasn't for Ted. Because around 30 years ago, he was instrumental in the purchase of this land for the school. Because of that, countless thousands of young people have been taught at this school and heard about and come to know Jesus. And I'm one of them. Ted always spent time getting to know people and he became a father figure to many, teaching them through kind and gentle words and often just through his actions how to be more like Christ. This is what real discipleship is. This is discipleship that's not weighed down by a discipleship program. It's a discipleship that didn't even need a program to begin with in the first place. It is the authentic response of a man who followed Jesus and obeyed his commands. Discipleship isn't an option for Christians. We don't get to opt out of it if we're not comfortable with it. Jesus has spoken and he has said, make disciples. In saying that, he also expects that we ourselves submit to Christians around us and allow them to teach us to be more like him. I've got my own personal story of discipleship and the amazing effect that it's had. I'm really passionate about it because I know that it works. Personally, there was a time in my life in which I was most in need of uh, direction and correction. Uh, it's probably the same for most people, I would say, the ages from around 16 to 22 when we really need some older people to give us some wisdom about the right direction to go. These days, however, these are the years that we're actually told by society that we can do whatever we want and live however we want. I remember I got a card on my 18th birthday that said, congratulations on turning 18, you're now old enough to do whatever you want, but still young enough not to know any better. Almost like an excuse so that I could go and do whatever I wanted and, and I could just say, I put my hand up and say, it's okay, I'm 18. I have like a five year period in which I'm allowed to do this. Stuff. <laughs> That's kind of what society says about that age. But the truth is, 
Uh, anyone that's been through it, or particularly, I guess, anyone that's got kids that age, you know that that's the years where people really need guidance. And I still need guidance, and I still get it, but that time period was particularly important for me. Discipleship for me came in the form of two men. One of them was my teacher, and the other one was my boss. While I was at school, I developed a really good mentoring relationship with one of my teachers, Asher, and after I graduated, this relationship continued. We saw each other often, but importantly, we didn't just catch up for discipleship sessions. We were friends. I worked with Asher on the school plays that he produced, which meant that we spent considerable time together. And the time that we spent together was quite a hectic, busy, stressful time as well. And this meant that I saw him at his worst, and he saw me at my worst. We didn't see each other every day, but when we did, we'd often talk for hours because we had many shared experiences to reflect on and discuss. We were friends and we still are. The other man was my boss, Dan. I became Dan's apprentice as a video editor when I was 16 and worked with him for the next eight years after that. Even when I finished working with him officially, I still visited and helped out with his work. Once again, most importantly, Dan and I never caught up to discipleship sessions. It's not the way it worked. Dan was my boss. He was a Christian man and a great man, but he was my boss. He saw me mess up and he got angry at me for that. And I saw him very occasionally mess up. Dan taught me about video, but while he was doing that, he was teaching me about much more important things. He was teaching me about life, about being a man, and about following God. With both of these men, I said that we didn't catch up for discipleship. And what I mean by that is, Dan never did that typical modern evangelical church thing of sending me a text and saying, hey, you want to catch up for a coffee? And we'd go out for coffee together and he'd ask me a series of pre-prepared questions about things that I was struggling with and then offer me biblical advice about how to deal with those things. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with doing that. It's definitely not a terrible practice. It's okay. But I don't think it would have been very effective for me. It definitely wouldn't have had the same effect as me spending time with him, helping him at work, him inviting me around for dinner, sharing our lives together. Coffee once a week is okay, but it's difficult to get past the surface, particularly if the time is limited and if we don't really know each other that well. Discipleship is not just meeting for coffees once a fortnight and barely touching upon the truth of what's going on in our lives. It means being involved in each other's lives on a regular basis, where we can see each other in good times and bad times, not the dressed up moments that we prepare in advance. Maybe you know what it's like when you know that you're about to meet up with someone for a discipleship or accountability thing. Uh, what do you do? You kind of think to yourself, well, I'm pretty sure they're going to ask me about this particular issue that we talked about last time, so I should probably make sure I've got a positive spin on it for when we get there. So I'll make sure I control myself for the couple of days before that, so that when they ask me, I can say, yeah, it's going really well. It's definitely on the improve. But then, which, I mean, there's no authenticity there. It's not exactly like you're lying, but they're not able to see you at the times that you really need to help. Look, the truth is that many churches suggest and organise this kind of uh, discipleship where people meet up for coffees um, and it's, and it's organised. And I'm not against it. Please don't hear that I'm against it. But the truth is it's not ideal. It's not what we should be aiming for as a church. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, go and make disciples. Neither Dan nor Asher ever asked me if they could disciple me. They just did it. I never asked them to, but they did anyway. 
I never asked Pete or Nathan or Wes or my dad or any of the countless other people that disciple me to do it. But they all do it anyway. See, discipleship isn't a program. Sometimes it is because sometimes it needs to be. But that's really only because there's something broken in a church, in a community. Churches often feel forced to create programs to facilitate something which should be happening all by itself. Discipleship isn't a program, it's simply Christianity. You've probably heard the old cliche that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And that's really true, it is. But that relationship is not just your relationship with God. It's your relationship with other people as well. It's your relationship with everyone. Christianity is discipleship. You all here, if you know Jesus and if you follow Jesus, you're all disciples. He wants us to be his disciples and to make other people disciples of him. That's our mission here at the project, to make disciples of Jesus. And that happens through relationships. <clears throat> a great book that uh, I've mentioned here before, uh, when I've been talking about discipleship in the past, is called You Lost Me, which is about uh, some of the major reasons that young people leave the church. One of the main reasons is that church has lost its grip on relational discipleship. Instead, we have structured programs to churn out cookie-cutter converts. But young people see through it. In fact, I think everyone sees through it. I think everyone knows when that's what's going on in the church. David Kimmon, the author of the book, concludes a chapter on discipleship for young people by saying what's on the screen. Disciples cannot be mass-produced. Disciples are handmade, one relationship at a time. We need to change from an industrialised mass production, public education approach and embrace the messy adventure of relationship. We need a new set of ideas and practices based upon apprenticeship. And that's what I saw in Ted's life and that's what I saw in the life of the people that have discipled me. That it isn't mass production of disciples. That Ted had relationships with people, often more than one at a time, but all of them very purposeful that created people that wanted to be like Christ and became more like him. So this is my first main point. Discipleship is relational. It's based upon relationship. I firmly believe that my discipleship experiences were positive and beneficial because they were authentic friendships first. Think about our biblical examples of what discipleship looks like. Timothy was more than just someone Paul met up with for coffee every now and then. He was his apprentice. Jesus didn't meet up with the disciples for a few hours a week. They sold everything and they followed him. They went through life together, experiencing the same experiences. They were friends. Discipleship is all about relationship. And for some of you, this might make you a little bit uncomfortable. I can understand and sympathise. I'm quite a... In some ways, I'm quite an introverted person. Uh, but I'm sorry to tell you that that's what following Jesus is all about. We're called to love people. And not just the people that we find socially acceptable or the people that we easily get along with. Everyone. Why has this idea of loving people fallen so far away from our idea of loving Christ? The two are inseparable. The church should be known by its love for others. John 13.35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving Jesus entails loving other people. The two are inseparable. Matthew 25.40 says, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did it 
to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Discipleship is relational, and relationships are at the heart of Christianity. The second point I want to make about discipleship is that relationships are born from community. If discipleship is all about relationships, we need to ask ourselves, well, where do relationships come from? They come from community. I think this might be one of the main blockages to real discipleship that's faced by the modern Western church and possibly by us here at the project. <coughs> the question is, if discipleship works best in a fluid and authentic relationship and not in a rigid, structured program, how do I develop those relationships? The answer is that you look for them, that you actually go out of your way to look for them and to make them. They don't just happen by themselves. How else do you think it would happen? If you sit around and wait for someone to come up to you and say, hey, young man, you look like you could do with some discipling. <laughs> you think that would happen very often? Did that ever happen to any of you young guys? No. And even if it did, how do you think you'd respond? You'd probably think it's a bit of a weirdo when you're trying to get away. <laughs> I think this is where the issue lies. We struggle with discipleship relationships because a lot of the time we struggle with relationships in general. We are a fragmented community living dozens of miles away from each other in different occupations with different timetables. And it's all well and good to say that, you know, the subjects looked different in the early church because they all lived in the same area and they shared everything they had. And how are we expected to make these authentic relationships when we only see other believers once a week for half an hour after the service? Well, that's exactly the problem. You only see other believers once a week, half an hour after the service. Relationship is born from community. If we refuse to be a part of a community, good luck developing healthy discipleship relationships. And perhaps this is sounding pretty difficult. Perhaps it's sounding like it won't fit very well into your weekly routine. Or perhaps we just need to start seeing the world a little bit differently. Maybe there are people around you in your streets, at your work, in your sporting team, the parents of your kids' friends at school, that you do see often that you can develop strong friendships with, that you kind of just ignore it. Do you know who in your street is a Christian or in your workplace? Discipleship isn't an optional extra, but instead it's a bonus. It's such a good, healthy thing. It's something that I want for everyone because I've experienced how great it is. And it's something that Jesus wants for everyone because he knows as well. It's a bonus of community that is simply unavoidable if your heart's in the right place. Thirdly, effective discipleship relationships often operate both ways. It's not one person telling another person everything that they must do and the other one blindly obeying all the time. It goes both ways. Sonda girl is older than me. I don't know how much, but probably a lot. <laughs> At least 10 years. Probably more. But our discipleship with each other goes both ways. He helps me towards Christ-likeness and I try to help him. Age isn't a barrier. The Bible does teach us to respect those people that are older than us and there's no doubt in my mind that the discipleship is kind of one-sided with him instructing me. But that doesn't mean that I've got nothing to offer him. And perhaps you've experienced it yourself. You know, sometimes you go in and you try to help someone and try to teach someone something and you actually end up learning more than they do through the whole situation. It's one of the great blessings of discipleship in community. Fourthly, discipleship is a mentality. It's an attitude. It's a way of seeing the world. And it affects the way that you see people, everyone. When you live your life based upon the fact that you know that you have been called to be like Jesus, 
Well, then you start to look for people that are doing better at it than you so that you can learn from them. Like I said before, I never asked any of these people to disciple me. But fairly quickly, thanks to the grace of God, I realised that if I learnt from other people who had more knowledge about life than me, then I could avoid making the same mistakes as them. Who wouldn't want that? Not only that, but they could help me to understand my life better and my choices, and they could give me better directions. The other way that discipleship mentality affects the way that you see the world is that you begin to see other people around you as maybe someone that you can help. You stop seeing people as resources that you can use, but you start to see them as men and women created in the image of God who need help. Everyone in the world needs help. It's just that some people admit to it. The messy, society-destroying idea of independence has corrupted us to the point where we think that it's a weakness to need help. But it's not. We're actually created to be dependent dependent on God and dependent on each other. We're all weak and we all need help. The independent person or the person trying to be independent is actually weaker than the rest because they ignore their weakness and try to go it alone. We are made stronger through our dependence. We're designed to depend on God and each other. Discipleship is a byproduct of your own teachability and your own understanding of God's command to you. True wisdom is realising that you're not very wise and seeking those that are. So, my four main points are that discipleship is a relationship, not a program. Discipleship is born from community, which is where relationships grow. Discipleship goes both ways. And discipleship is a mentality. It's a way of seeing the world. You can get discipled by people without ever asking them and without them even knowing in fact, I think that happens all the time. Every time you talk to someone, they're discipling you in some direction. Whether or not they know it or not, or you know it or not, because we affect each other all the time. At the end of the day, this is the big question. What really matters in life? In this life, what is the most important and valuable thing that we can do, that we can spend our time doing? For people that believe in eternity, in heaven and hell, and that this life is just a vapour, then surely the most valuable thing that we can do is to obey Jesus and to make disciples. We love our wives, we love our husbands, and we do that by encouraging them in becoming like Christ, which is discipleship. We love our kids, and we disciple them. We love our family, our street, our school, and our friends by helping them to become more like Christ. And they do the same for us. So, where does this leave you? Take some time now to think for yourself. Who are you being discipled by? Who are the people in your life that you share life with, that teach you? The people that you ask for help from? The people that you confess your sins to and pray with? If there aren't any, then where are you learning from? How are you making your decisions? How are you ensuring that you're seeing clearly through the fog of your own circumstances which can blind us to what's really going on in our life sometimes? Secondly, who are you discipling? Who do you share your life with? And who do you help? Who do you have close relationships with that you can call them up to imitating Christ? Who do you speak the truth and love to? You were called by Jesus to make disciples. There's no doubt about that. So who is it? Who is your apprentice in following Christ? 
if you struggle to answer those questions, we're walking a dangerous line. Firstly, if you can't think of anyone that you have a close relationship with, that you discuss important issues with, and that encourages you, sometimes through hard words to be more like Christ, you could well be deceived in some major areas in your life and not even realise it. Secondly, if there's no one in your life that you are actively helping and teaching towards Christ-likeness, then you have to ask yourself, to what extent are you following Jesus' instructions? All of this finds its foundation in community and relationships. The first step is loving people and being part of a community. Out of that, if you look for it, if you pursue it and allow it, discipleship will emerge. Ted Hitsky left a legacy of disciples. He impacted everyone that he met, sometimes purposefully and planned, and often just through the man of God that he was. He was a husband and a father who discipled his family and his friends. He touched countless hundreds of people. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of legacy that I want to leave. And I think it's the kind of legacy that Jesus wants us to leave as well. Can you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the example that you gave us about discipleship. Thank you for showing us the way uh, to live our lives in community. And thank you for enabling us to be able to help each other. I just pray for all of us here that we would hear your words and your encouragement and that we would step out of our comfort zones, perhaps out of our own sinful, selfish desires not to be uncomfortable, and that we would develop relationships with people, that we would find discipleship everywhere that we go, that we would make disciples for you and leave a legacy.